What up, world? Pass first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show, I want to talk about the Blazers' evolving defensive schemes and an ugly loss to the Denver Nuggets in preseason. Just in general, up top, I want to say that you can't learn very much from preseason. So while this show will focus a bunch on a one specific preseason game, a lot of it should be taken with a grain of salt. We're trying to look for trends and things that are sort of repeatable and knowable moving forward, more so than we are going to nitpick specifics. If you are new to Lockdown Blazers, I don't really do recaps or game previews. Uh, I don't find those particularly valuable for how you want to think about a sport that plays four times a week. For the exhibition season, we are still in our no box scores rules. I'm not, I'm not reading the box scores. I refuse to tell you the stats because the stats don't matter. What I do know is that the Blazers got thrashed by the Nuggets. So what I want to talk about in today's episode is I want to focus on the defense a little bit. There's there's real things to dig in on there. And then I want to close out the show in the final two segments. Just talk a little bit about what we learned and where, or rather, how we can use the information that we've seen um, to think about the Blazers as heading into the season for when for the when the games actually start because while I don't think preseason is particularly meaningful it would be it's probably not fair to call it meaningless as I already have I just uh probably the best way to put it is that it's not fair to make sweeping generalizations but the team looks how they look like I watched the game and and likely so did you if you're listening to this podcast. I guess if you didn't watch the game, check out the box score because I'm not going to tell you about it. And then, um, re, you know, pull it up as you're listening to this podcast or, or take pause it, take a peek if you're on your phone or whatever mobile device, then, uh, then come back. All right. So the real news of this game is that the Blazers are trying to install or trying to trying to play a slightly more aggressive brand of defense this year. In the past, they have pretty much strictly on in every single matchup dropped the big man in pick and roll. So when you set a screen, the the center or the big guarding, the person guarding the screen uh, drops all the way back, takes a couple steps and kind of plays center field. You're just trying to, when the guard comes around the screen, you're just trying to stay in front of them, keep them away from the rim, force them into a mid-range jump shot, but really what you're trying to do is kind of corral them until the guard can get over top of the screen, run around, and recover. And the big the big reason for doing that is, one, it kind of creates a baseline for competency. Um, you you know, you shut off, a, you try to shut off a bunch of layups, and, and maybe you don't force turnovers, and maybe you give up um, some open jumpers, but you just, you're your baseline for sort of like relatively contested shots remains high. And also it keeps you out of rotations. And I think that's, that's actually the big one because if you, well, what they're doing now is that the big man, instead of dropping back on screens is playing about at screen height. They're stepping up to the height of the screen and trying to push the defender or push the ball handler rather, um, push them wide and then recover back to the ball as opposed to sort of playing center field and letting, uh, the, Ball, ball handler take up a little bit of space. Uh, they are trying to, they are trying to meet the ball handler at the height of the screen. Get them to either spread out wide and not be able to tack downhill, or give up the ball to the big man and make the big man the decision maker as opposed to the guard. But when you are doing that, when you inst- when you are not dropping the big, but you are having the uh, 
big man step up to the height of the screen, to the level of the screen, you are asking the players on the other help side defenders, the other the other defenders on the team to to pinch in and help. And that is the thing that Terry Stotts' scheme has tried to avoid. Because if they pinch in and help, then you're then you can get caught scrambling in rotation. You know, a couple quick passes out of the screen and now you've got guys who came all the way to the corner to stop the roll, then the ball swings, they gotta sprint back to the corner, that ball swings from the corner to the top of the key. You gotta help the helper, everyone's sprinting around and running. The Blazers have personnel in theory to do this. The additions of Robert Covington, Derek Jones Jr. helps. Having uh, Yusuf Nurkic, he's much. He's not particularly mobile in my in my mind, but he's certainly more mobile, more agile than Hassan Whiteside was. This was a, a non-starter for Hassan. So the Blazers are trying this out, and quite frankly, against the Denver Nuggets, this more aggressive scheme where the where the defender comes to the height of the screen and and players are are helping or, you know, getting within, helping pinching down the lane to help out and then getting in rotations was terrible. It was terrible because the Nuggets are a really good offensive team. It's terrible because the Nuggets shot pretty well on contested threes. It's terrible because Nikola Jokic is uniquely skilled at um, reading the help defense a, a step ahead of your help defenders. But it was also terrible because the Blazers personnel is not quite good at it yet. And this is my concern. I don't love drop coverage against every single uh, player in the league. In fact, that when the Blazers used to play it always against Steph Curry and the Warriors, it was insane. It's absolute insanity to continue to try that particular coverage. I think Damian Lillard had a quote earlier this year. Where he said, I don't understand drop coverage. Well, much like Steph Curry, playing drop coverage against Dame is dumb. You drop the big man and give him a little space to come around the screen and he knows there's going to be space. He's going to one, two step and then hit a dagger and say he shoots, say he only shoots 40% on open threes. Well, that's, that's you're still probably going to lose with that type of coverage but the so adding adding a, a slightly more aggressive scheme is something that fans and likely maybe you dear listener have been calling for forever and i'm not against it i just the same way i'm not against drop coverage i just don't think you can play the same against every single team uh, I think the Blazers in some ways might have been better served playing drop against the Nuggets and kind of just and not letting Jokic pick them apart uh, against rotations. You know, maybe Jamal Murray is such a good shooter off the dribble and, he's, and he has a nice little mid-range game. Maybe he just lights them up and, and, and makes it tough on them. But my thing, I guess my my issue here is that having one defensive coverage or one one style of defense makes you more exploitable. And I think the Blazers will be better off if they can get if they can get this more aggressive defense dialed in and they can be more on a string with rotations because I'm not worried about the ball necessarily. I'm just worried about the once the ball moves and that second and third rotation because I don't think some I don't think, there are some players in the Blazers who I'm not super confident in being uh, connected on on these rotations. Uh, I'm not super worried about the starting lineup. Uh, I'm really concerned about putting Ennis Cantor and Carmelo Anthony in situations where they have to get up to the ball, then recover to their man, and then sprint back out to the after helping sprint back out to the corner. Teams are just going to take advantage of them. They're they're. Carmelo Anthony's in his 18th NBA season. He's slow, and he was never an elite defender. It's going to happen. Ennis Cantor's best thing about best way he plays defense is by being big and being in the right spot. And when you're asking him to be in multiple spots, it's harder to be in the right spot. 
I'm not sure it's a great defensive strategy for the current state of Rodney Hood. Um, as he works his way back in, I think his uh, he he just doesn't look as spry as he once did. He's working his way back. It's we don't need no reason to overreact. But it but a slightly more aggressive defensive coverage it will work for guys like Gary Trent Jr. and and Derek Jones Jr. and and Robert Covington. It'll it'll work okay for Damon CJ. It's not it's not perfect for Damon CJ's skill set. I think some of the drop coverage helped them a little bit. Um, because the rules were a little more um, straightforward, but they won't be challenged as much as some other guys. The problem is that you have to be fully connected. One guy can't cover for you. In some ways, the drop coverage allowed Yusuf Nurkic to be the anchor of the Blazers' defense and fix many of their ails. A more aggressive scheme puts them... Puts, puts pressure on everyone to be good. It can't just be NERC. It has to be a collective group. It has to be the whole collective group being effective. Another key thing I want to point out here as we're finishing up this segment on defense is that the Blazers got absolutely rocked by the Nuggets. I believe they gave up 41 points in the first quarter. I'm not checking the box score, but that's just off my memory. And that is all not all new schematics none of some of that is new schematics certainly some of that is guys getting caught in rotation and being in the wrong spot some of it is uh Ennis Kander getting a little too high maybe a little higher than you want him to be and not and not recovering uh i don't i didn't think Carmelo Anthony looked particularly good defensively but before before we get into the the x's and o's and this new look defense and all that the Blazers just got torched on good old-fashioned, this dude cut right in front of your face and you didn't stop him. Or you have to stop the ball. Like, um, the rules don't change. You can't let a ball handler get all the way into the paint no matter what your scheme is. So, while the defense looked terrible against Denver, uh, and certainly the new scheme is playing a role in some of the struggles as the Blazers try to sort of piece together what their new defense is going to look like and get their communication down and all those things... Some of their issues against Denver was just them playing crap defense. It wouldn't have mattered what the scheme was. You let a guy cut right and right past to the corner and cut right across your face to the rim, and he gets an easy layup cutting right in front of you. You let Jamal Murray dribble down and and get into the paint and and get off an, a little eight footer. You give up a ton of offensive rebounds. You let Will Barton get off a clean floater. You don't pick up a man in transition because you're uh, trying to figure out who's going to guard the ball and you just leave wide open Gary Harris on the wing. These, are, these aren't schematic things. These are just playing bad defense. Some of the Blazers' issues on Wednesday evening were just playing bad defense. It wasn't a new scheme or old scheme or, or whatever or personnel or coaching or whatever. It was just the dudes on the floor played bad defense. We will revisit this defensive schematic stuff a bunch. Uh, I find it particularly interesting. Uh, it, Terry Stotts spent eight years playing the same way. Well, he his first year he played differently. Then years two through eight he adopted, he installed, and then and then stuck with uh, uh, the drop defense. Other good defensive teams around the league do it. The the Bucks drop. Uh, play drop pick and roll coverage and there they were the best defense in the league last year or among the best defense in the league last year so you can be a good defensive team with either scheme you know uh hyper aggressive uh raptors were a really good defensive team along with the bucks they played two very very different styles of defense you can do it in a lot of different ways my thing with the blazers is they shouldn't i would caution against them settling into one way if they can avoid settling into one way and have a variety of defenses that are specific to an opponent I think they'll be better off, but they got to figure out they got to get good at one of them first, and then we can decide which one they should, uh, which one they should stick with. 
All right, in the second segment, I want to talk a little bit about what else we learned in, in the Blazers' third preseason game. I think we learned a little bit about what the rotations could potentially look like. Uh, I think we learned a little bit about ha- more, even more, about how Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr. helped. I want to talk about that. But before I get there, let's talk about headspace. Life is stressful even under normal circumstances, and this year has challenged us even more. You need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes, and that's headspace. Headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations and an easy-to-use app. Headspace is the is one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace can really help you feel better. Overwhelmed? Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need some help falling asleep? Headspace has a wind-down session that members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. Plus, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule, anytime, anywhere. You deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is meditation made simple. So go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA. That's headspace.com slash locked on NBA for a free one month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal they're offering right now. So go to headspace.com slash locked on NBA today. All right. So if you listened to the mailbag episode earlier this week, I teased this once, but I'm going to tell you again, Eric Garcia Gunderson, the former host of this show and someone who's all over the NBA webosphere content world as a writer and podcast host in his own right is going to join me on the podcast. We're recording Thursday evening. Probably going to put that show up for you Friday so be sure to check that out. Uh, Eric's Eric has follows the league really well. Watches every Blazer game. Has has um he'll be someone I'd love to chat with. And also, if you are listening to this podcast, regular listener or first time listener, I want to make a promise to you right here. I'm gonna try to do more interviews. This this all podcasts are better with a back and forth. I recognize that. My schedule is such that it is hard to coordinate with uh, doing regular interviews. Uh, quite frankly, I don't want a co-host, so I'm, I'm not going to get a regular one, but I do want to do more interviews because I think the show is better with interviews and I want to bring you a better show. I want to bring you the best Blazer podcast that there is. I am confident that I can do that, but I know that starts with more interviews. So I'm going to make a pact to you, dear listener, that starting this week and moving on throughout this season, I'm going to try to bring you an interview a week one podcast, at least one podcast a week that involves me chatting with someone in the NBA realm. So look, if you're one of those people who says, I like Lockdown Blazers, but it's just one dude talking. Eventually, it'll be one dude talking to another person. Okay, now I got that promise on wax, so I really got to follow through, which is one of the reasons I wanted to say it out loud, hold, give myself some accountability, and and tell you, dear listener, that I, uh, I hear your feedback. I, I understand... Um, Look, like I said, I want to make this the best podcast possible. This is the way to do it. Let's talk about the Blazers, though. 
I think we learned some things about the playing rotation a little bit in this game. Uh, I was excited about this game specifically because I thought this was the game that Stotts would treat most like a regular season game. And he did, sort of. Uh, Damon CJ played their regular minutes, like what I believe will be the regular minutes in the first half. They each played 18 first half minutes. That, if you're good at math, is half of 36. That's right where I think both of them will be, 35, 36 minutes a night. Fourth quarter, um, he, Terry got Terry got away from regular rotations. The game was over, but also like I think he only planned to go three quarters of sort of uh, dress rehearsal, and then and then would uh, then would was going to punt anyways, even if the game was close. Uh, th- like I said, these games don't matter, but there was I think there was a slight quirkiness in the subs because uh, Yusuf Nurkic picked up like a crap foul halfway through the first quarter when he was um, to stop a fast break. So I think Cantor might have got in a little earlier than normal. But the first subs were uh, Ennis Cantor, Carmelo Anthony, and Rodney Hood. My assumption is the first subs in, during the normal game will be uh, Mello and Gary Trent, and they will come in. I This is my guess, just based on the way he's done it. The typical sub will be for Robert Covington and CJ McCollum. So you'll get Dame, Gary, Derek, Mello, and Nurk for uh, two and a half minutes before the... Uh, before Rodney Hood and Cantor come into the game. I think Dame's going to play the whole first quarter. That's what he did in this game. I think I think that's the assumption. Then when he sits, the Blazers will go to a, you know, like a a four-man bench look with CJ McCollum briefly. So they'll go be- Dame with Dame with the bench as you bring in uh the four bench guys is Rodney Rodney Gary Mello and Cantor, and then you'll go to the CJ with four bench. And then one thing they did in this game was Mello plus the starters, which I thought was pretty interesting. So while Dame is still out, you keep in CJ McCollum as your point guard. Derek Jones Jr. slides down to the two, which was curious. Robert Covington plays the three, Mello at the four with Cantor at the five. That group was terrible on defense, um, but it shows you the versatility of Derek Jones Jr. I think he can play basically two through four, no problem. Um, with with Covington shooting on the wing, you can get the spacing. With Melo shooting on the wing, you can get the spacing that it doesn't really matter. Um, that, that lineup's fine. I think that lineup's uh, relatively normal. One thing that this rotation, the way the rotation worked, Rodney Hood didn't play in the second half, is I, I kind of think Rodney Hood, I was assuming that he would be on a minutes restriction that would be around 20 minutes when the season started, but it's making me seem the way he has treated preseason, you know, missing the first game, playing limited minutes in game two, uh, playing limited minutes here in game three, is that he might be more around that 10 to 12 range. Like he might be in for two five minute shifts, uh, one in the first half, one in the second half. So, this this is just an assumption, but I think Rodney Hood might be he might be playing a little bit less just health wise when or minutes restriction wise when the season starts. He he look he had one really great pass coming out of an out of timeout play, but um, other than that, he just kind of looks like a dude who hasn't played basketball in a year. Uh, it was a hard it was a weird time to be in in a rehab and situation. You know he wasn't cleared to play five on five until very very recently, and even if he had been, he wasn't. It just was in a situation where he could play five on five or even play, you know, contact basketball at the practice facility because the COVID-19 restrictions wouldn't have, you know, it was only one coach, one, you know, one coach, one player, one basket. So uh, Hood is just, he's working his way back. I'm not, it's a, it's a really difficult injury to come back from. I'm not yet super concerned about Rodney Hood. Because we talked about rotation stuff, 
I think I should say this here if you new new listeners and old listeners alike. I I think the most important thing an NBA coach does on any given night is decide who plays and when who plays when and with whom. Who plays and when is like is the decisions they make typically. So that's why I kind of spend extra time on the rotation stuff because the pairings matter, who's out there with who matters. That's those are the actual decision a coach makes. Even if they call a damn play, the players can just break it off. Um, so the things that coaches do, and I've joked about this with Terry Stotts before too, is that I, it's like I think the only thing they really do is decide who's on the court. Um, they do a lot of other coaching stuff, but like the actual major impactful decisions they make in a game are like who's on the court and when. So that's why I spend extra time on 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 rotation stuff. It's it's interesting to me, and I think it's the most um, it's the biggest sort of coaching decisions you make on any given night of note in this game Anthony Simons did not play he's now missed the last two and a half games with a hamstring injury uh Blazers aren't doing injury reports during the preseason uh other teams are this is a decision that the franchise is making so we don't really have a ton of details on uh Ant's injury but uh they're probably being cautious soft tissue injuries are things that can linger you want to be cautious with them we don't have any reason to think that it's uh, a really serious thing just yet but it is noteworthy that he hasn't played. I don't think he needs to play in the fourth preseason game to be available in game one. Uh, that that doesn't that I don't think that's going to be a deal breaker by any means. But noteworthy that he hasn't played. Zier Little didn't travel with the team. Still not around the team after a positive COVID test. Uh, unclear when he'll exactly rejoin the team. Teams being choosing to be super private about it. Um, I think when the regular season starts. they'll have to be more straightforward rules about disclosure and we'll learn a little bit more. But by then, Nazir might be back with the team, so he'll presumably speak to the media, etc. But just of note, no Ant in this game and no Nazir on the trip to Denver. Blazers play again on Friday, back at formerly known as the Pepsi Center, but Ball Arena, but again in Denver on Friday. Can't imagine either of those teams play their starters a ton of minutes in that final preseason game, so get ready for the C.J. Ellaby show. Obviously, we will talk about that game for Monday's program. In the final segment to close out this show, I want to talk a little bit about what else we learned. We talked a lot about uh, the defense and the rotations, but some other I got some other notes about uh, about the new guys and what I saw from this game, so that's what we'll do to close out the show. But before I do that, I want to tell you all about Built Go. From the good people that bring you Built Bar comes Built Go. What is Built Go, you ask? Well, it's the replacement for your energy drink. But it's not, it's, the energy isn't fake. It's lasting and natural. And it is, the, it is the best workout gel on the market. Comes in these easy-to-take-with-you one-and-a-half-ounce packages and three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, coconut, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. And it helps you break through your wall, be it your physical or mental wall. You eat one of these little one and a half ounce packages and you are ready to go. And you ask, Michael, how, how does it work so well? Well, here's how it works. It's because Build Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. And collagen protein is fast absorbing, gets into your system fast, and it's easy on your stomach. Build Go is also loaded with stuff to ignite your work like beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. It's like 100 milligrams of caffeine uh, around about the same as a... As a uh, Typical cup of coffee if you're an American listener. If you're not an American listener, I guess we drink heavily caffeinated coffee here. Uh, but Bilko, it's got the kick. It's got the, it's got the kick to get you going and keep you going because it also has B6 and B12. It's about 10,000% of your daily percentage of B12. I really like Bilko. Uh, it's, it helps me 
find the energy to work out after work, helps me find the energy to record a podcast after working out after work. It's, uh, it helps me break through my wall, helps, keeps me going and, and, and gives me the little, that, that boost of energy, lasting energy that I need. So get yourself some of this. Visit BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED. You'll get 20% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked on Blazers. Still talking about the Blazers preseason game. We actually haven't even talked about the Blazers preseason game, really. I haven't told you the score or anything like that because... We're not looking at the box scores during exhibitions. We're talking about trends. The games are going to matter next week. The Blazers are a week away from the regular season starting. And when the games matter, I'm not anti-box score or anti-numbers. I love the box score. I live for it. But I don't think you learn anything by saying, here's what the Blazers shot, and here's, here's the shooting percentage for the Nuggets and how many threes they got. That stuff is important, but that stuff isn't... Um, it isn't how we learn about what's next. Parsing the box score in the exhibition season is invaluable. So let's talk about trends. That's why I want to talk about the defense. Like what we what we act actively saw from the defense is, is a team that got caught in rotations and also just was bad on D, just period, like fundamentally bad on defense. So I want to talk about who played and when because who plays is going to matter when the game starts. It doesn't matter... Um, if they shot poorly in this game or whatever, but the pairings and the groupings are going to define how the season goes because your role is largely defined by who you share the court with. But I think there were some other things that uh, we saw in this game that will prove to be valuable moving forward. One is Robert Covington's ability to shoot threes off a little bit of movement. I thought he was going to be a st- a standstill shooter, and that's probably largely his role. He still shot up. A, he still made the majority of his jumpers in this game um, standstill, spot up jumpers. But he had a couple on 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 dribble handoffs when he does that little sort of one two uh, you know shuffle into into a jumper at the top of the key in the third quarter that looked really clean. He had another another kind of gliding to his right as the defense came uh, where he wasn't, he wasn't moving on, on the shot, but he was able to take sort of a side dribble and get a shot up. Um, His ability to shoot off of not just, um, not just stationary was, was pretty impressive. He also had a couple nice passes in this game. Covington has more to his game than I appreciated. Uh, I always kind of thought of him as an ideal three and D guy. I guess I'm remembering um, in in Philly when he was maybe a little more earlier in his career, maybe a little more limited in his skill set, and or in Houston where he just don't touch the ball and get to do very much. Uh, you have to stand still and shoot, at least in last year's offense in Houston. So he just he, I'm surprised with he has a little more in his bag. He's had some nice bounce passes at, at a couple different arm angles. It's not like he can throw one type of pass. He's thrown a little creativity with his passes. I don't think he's like a crazy elite playmaker, but he definitely has some touch and some um and some sort of chops in that area that I did, maybe didn't think he had. Little um like I said variety of of jumpers he can get off. He's had a couple nice uh drives to the rim. He had a couple just plays in transition and I think the both new guys are really going to impact the Blazers transition game. Uh, obviously, 
we're assuming with a more aggressive defensive scheme and longer arms on the perimeter with Covington and Derek Jones Jr., the Blazers are going to get more steals this year, force more turnovers, something they just haven't done in the past. Uh, they've also been a pretty terrible transition team. I think Covington's athleticism and particularly Derek Jones Jr.'s just sort of shot out of a cannonness is really going to help the Blazers score some easy points in ways that they just they just haven't generated. Neither Both Dame and CJ are like elite, elite half-court scorers. And Dame is really one of the best offensive players in the world. World. He's he is an offense like him running a pick and roll is as good an offensive play as you can find in the league. Literally anyone in the NBA, Dame running a pick and roll is as good as it gets. So I'm not I'm not saying like the Blazers are needed more help on offense, but one of the reasons why I think this team has a chance to be an elite elite offensive team is because the role players have a way to get easy buckets that maybe the role players didn't in the past. Derek Jones Jr. just so obviously helps the team in transition off misses, off free throws, off just uh, you know long rebounds, uh, rebounds that come just bounce out to the free throw line. Guard gets it, turns, Derek Jones Jr. is gone, and he's so fast in the open floor, and obviously he's going to finish above the rim. Uh, I don't know, the Blazers just haven't had a lot of dunkers in my uh, my time around the team. So I think the easy buckets, like Derek Jones Jr. just so obviously gets easy buckets for this team. Uh, Covington has shown that he can get some easy buckets for this team. I think um, they're just going to be a more competent transition team with those two guys involved. I think that's that's just a really obvious one. One minor thing that I'm, I'm maybe not worried about, but I am, um, I'm noticing is that I feel like Gary Trent Jr. has kind of lost where he fits a little bit on offense in this preseason. Uh, he's been good. Like, dude, he can really shoot it. It looks so pure coming out of his hand. But he's also had times where I think he's maybe rushed into some ugly jumpers, taken some like just gross long twos off of no passes. Um and I think that has to do with just there's more offense on the second unit than there was at a, a lot of the times last year. If it's Rodney Hood and Ennis Cantor and Mello, and Mello's going to get his shots and he's going to get a ton of touches, you just have a lot more guys who can score. And it seems a little bit, at least right now, and I, I think he'll figure it out because he seems like a, a smart type of role player type, is that Gary Trent Jr. doesn't really know where he's going to get his shots, so he's he's rushed a couple more than he should. He's been fine in the other games. I'm, I'm maybe specifically talking about this Denver game where I thought he looked a little rushed. He looked a little bit like this in the second Sacramento game, but I'm I'm mostly talking about the Den- this first Denver game. And I, I just, I think he's maybe not pressing, but he's just like, I don't, I'm good at scoring and I don't exactly know when I'm going to get my chance to score so I'm going to go I'm going to try now. I I think he'll I think he'll settle in and figure out where it comes from, but I think the added offensive firepower on the second unit has made Gary a little trigger happy hoping to he wants to get in on the dance. It's fun to score. Uh Blazers' second unit offense is still going to go through Mello. He's going to get a bunch of touches. He's he's going to post up. He's going to take, you know, one dribble, two dribble pull-ups. He's going to he's going to isolate on the wing and and go to work. So, and that wasn't too dissimilar from what the Blazers did last year, starting in about January. So Gary Trent Jr. can work off that. Like I'm not, I'm not worried about Gary working off that. I'm more worried about if Cantor gets a couple post-ups and if they get, try to get Rodney Hood going with a couple plays. This is just a bunch of offense first guys on on the second unit and Gary trying to get in where he fits in with a bunch of off- offense first guys, particularly if CJ's running the backup point guard. Uh, it's just a little more dicey than, than, than it was last season playing with um, a more offensively challenged group on that in that second unit. If you're listening to this show, don't forget to check your feeds 
Thursday evening, Friday, Friday morning, Thursday evening, depending on how late you stay up. Like I said, Eric Garcia Gunderson is going to join the show. The first of many interviews in the coming weeks that I'm, I'm going to post on this show as we look to make this the best Blazer podcast that there is. So tell your friends about this podcast. Help us grow the community. They can just find Locked On Blazers where, already, where they already get podcasts. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.